Before we begin, this episode references sexual abuse and may be upsetting to some listeners. You want to know what it's like to be a victim of Jeffrey Epstein's? Hello? Oh my goodness, like voice from the past. This is what it's like for Virginia Roberts Dufresne. I wanted to talk to you about like some of the stuff that you might remember. She's still doing what she's been doing for nearly a decade. Trying to get some of the people who witnessed Epstein's massive sex trafficking operation to come forward and help her tell the world what happened. Can I just come in and have like a cup of coffee with you? Would that be okay? What did he just say? Okay, so there's no, would you meet me somewhere for lunch? No. Okay. He hung up? I'm Tara Palmieri, and this is season two of Broken, Seeking Justice. This might be weird to say as the host of a show about Jeffrey Epstein, but I don't really care about him. Here's what I care about. The people who he abused and who are now demanding something that seems so simple. They want our legal system and our society to say very clearly, you don't get to sexually abuse girls for years and get away with it because you're rich and powerful. On this season of Broken, we're going to spend a lot of time with some of those victims, those survivors. Today, you'll hear about Virginia Roberts Dufresne. You've likely seen her on TV or in that photo of Prince Andrew with his arm around her bare teenage waist. In the years since she first told her story in 2011, Virginia has grown into a unique figure in our cultural landscape, a sex abuse victim who never stopped speaking out. And her willingness to relive and recount the awful things that happened to her and to keep the pressure on her alleged abusers has spurred real action. Her statements about being trafficked to Prince Andrew led him to step back from public life. This week, we go on a cross-country journey with Virginia, following her as she reaches out to some of the people she knew back when she was under Epstein's control. She wants the people who witnessed Epstein's sexual abuse operation to come forward and admit what they saw publicly. There's a lot of them. Epstein had so many enablers in this sex trafficking operation. Virginia's particularly interested in Epstein's household employees, not the handful of assistants who actively ran the sex trafficking ring. They're potential criminal defendants and will probably never talk. But there are other staffers, people who didn't directly participate or organize the sex abuse, but were in a position to see so much. Jeffrey had so many people, so many moving parts at every single one of his properties. The mansions in New York and Palm Beach, the island in the Caribbean, the ranch in New Mexico. These were people like butlers, maids, chauffeurs, and chefs. And then the pilots that would fly him from one house to another. I don't know. At New York, he probably had about 15 house staff. All these employees, plus the guests. Everybody who went into Jeffrey's house knew what was going on. You couldn't be a pizza delivery boy and walk in Epstein's houses and not know what's going on. You walk into the houses, naked pictures everywhere, young girls everywhere, old dude, not married. Like, it's not hard to just put two and two together, really. Virginia says most of the sexual abuse she endured occurred behind closed doors. But what she describes happening in the public areas would shock most people. We would, you know, lay out completely naked, 100% naked. Jeffrey did not like tan lines at all. He wanted tan bodies. He wanted 
petite bodies. He wanted like prepubescent bodies, so no pubic hair and, and no tan lines. Virginia said she spent more than two years under Epstein's thumb, not only being forced to perform erotic massages nonstop, but helping him to do things that no able-bodied adult man should need assistance with, like putting his socks and shoes on for him, soaping him in the shower, tucking him into bed. It was a horror show she only escaped in 2002 when she eloped with her now husband. I started this brand new life in Australia. Uh, I learned how to cook eggs and do laundry. I know that sounds stupid, but, you know, like I learned those little simple things in life. And that was, that's what made me happy. And I was so happy just to move on with that. But by 2011, Virginia realized she couldn't let Epstein's crimes go unpunished. She couldn't just move on. What changed for me was giving birth to these beautiful children that I have and knowing a love that I've never known before. As you probably heard, Virginia has claimed in court filings that Epstein forced her to have sex with a number of powerful men, all of whom denied it, including the lawyer Alan Dershowitz, Prince Andrew, former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, and former Senator George Mitchell. In her mind, these were all public figures, not paying any price for their actions. She felt a need to call them to account. She didn't think getting justice would take all that long, Epstein ran a massive sex trafficking operation in which he and allegedly many men and a handful of women sexually abused dozens, probably hundreds of girls. She thought the evidence she gave would be enough to lock them up. But for years, she saw such meager progress. How could it be that nobody cared about Epstein's crimes? Justice isn't just people going to jail. I think justice to me looks like we need to change the system. Then, our own Julie K. Brown wrote her explosive series in the Miami Herald, and the world finally agreed with her. This is horrible. Something must be done. And a few things were. Epstein was arrested, of course, but he died in custody. Alex Acosta, the former U.S. attorney who struck an absurdly lenient deal with Epstein back in 2007, lost his cabinet post. Elaine Maxwell was indicted on charges, all of which she denies, related to her role in Epstein's abuse of underage girls. Prince Andrew had to step back from his public duties, though it's easy to find a regular stream of pap shots of his very lovely life. But what about the other people who enabled and participated in Epstein's crimes? I pray, I wish that the truth comes out about everybody who participated, enabled, and watched Epstein and Maxwell get away with trafficking so many of us minors. They've been getting away with it for decades. So Virginia asked us to help her. She said she wants to reach out to some of those staffers, those people she knew back then, the people who witnessed Epstein's operation in action. She wants them to talk now. She needs them for specific legal reasons. She's embroiled in two lawsuits and she hopes they can help her out. And she needs them for other, more personal reasons. She wants what many victims of abuse want, someone to acknowledge that what she went through really happened. The first stop on our journey is in Los Angeles. Virginia flew there from Australia, and I came from New York with my producer, Krista. We came here to meet one man who was at the top of Virginia's list. In 2014, when she was preparing for a previous lawsuit, Virginia talked with her lawyer about who might be able to confirm the basics of her story. She immediately thought of one guy. So I made really good friends with this guy named Adam Perry Lang. Adam Perry Lang. 
He was Jeffrey's personal chef for quite a long time. So Adam went, like, nearly everywhere with us. I think he was there, like, almost all the time. He used to talk to me like I was a person. Even if I was standing naked in front of him, he wouldn't be there ogling me with his eyes. He would just be, like, looking directly at my face. And we had we had wonderful moments together. When Virginia wants to convey what it's like to live under Epstein and Maxwell, she doesn't talk that much about the abuse. She talks about the food. So Jeffrey had us on, like, these ridiculous diets, right? It was all organic, and it was all, like— you know, shaved salmon on a best bed of pilaf or couscous and, you know, your vegetables. It was never like carbs. You can't just fill up. They wanted you to look a specific way. Back then, most days she had to put Epstein to bed, which she says meant being sexually abused one more time, then finally tucking him in. I could close the door and then I could just go like, <sighs> and breathe. She remembers one night on Epstein's private island back when she and Adam Perry Lang were both on the payroll. I went to the kitchen to go get something, and I was starving. And I was like, Adam, could you whip me up something? He's like, yeah, what do you like? And I was like, I love pizza. He's like, I can make really good pizzas. So that was like the first time, and then it just became like a normal thing where I didn't even have to ask for it anymore. Virginia's routine became familiar. She would go upstairs and put Epstein to bed and then go back downstairs to the kitchen and Adam. And he would have the pizza waiting for me already in the kitchen. I'd jump up on the bench. Uh, We'd open a beer, which is another thing we weren't allowed to drink, but we would have a beer together and eat pizza and just talk. Sometimes I'd help him wash dishes. Um, He just seemed like a, a real cool human being. Her time with Adam was exciting because it was a small act of rebellion against the strict rules she was living under. Ghislaine found out once that he was doing that, and we both got reprimanded. Ghislaine, being the control freak that she was, was, like, keeping an eye on us, making sure that we weren't talking anymore. Lang worked for Epstein from 1999 to 2003. Since then, he's become a celebrity chef in L.A., famous especially for his barbecue. Okay, who's ready to kick off the next challenge? Please welcome barbecue master Adam Perry Lang. Celebrities hang out at his restaurant called APL after his initials. Lang has become Jimmy Kimmel's best friend. We met, Adam was a chef on my show. He barbecued a whole pig pig. in our parking lot. And the rest is LA foodie history. He's also been on Kimmel's show a bunch. I'll tell you from personal experience that our next guest really knows how to handle a piece of meat. Tonight, he's here to make your holiday feast even feastier. Please welcome barbecue chef Adam Perry Lang. Adam, come on. Lang has written several popular books about barbecue. A big part of his narrative, the story he tells about himself, is that he was a late convert to the art. Here's Oprah. Adam Perry Lang is the man behind the meat. A classically trained chef, Adam fell in love with barbecue while working as a cook on a New Mexico ranch. Lang doesn't mention that the New Mexico ranch was Jeffrey Epstein's. Last year, the New York Times reported on something very weird about that ranch. It says that starting in the early 2000s, when Lang was working there, Epstein would talk sometimes at his dinner parties about his plan to use that ranch as a literal breeding ground. He wanted to inseminate large numbers of girls and women with his sperm in order to seed the human race with his own DNA. 
Lang often mentions the ranch in interviews. And over there, there was like a lot of、uh, displaced Texas ranch hands and cowboys there. And on the downtime, they do barbecue, and they like、right. totally like pulled me into it. It's a great story, and Lang loves to tell it. He was a sophisticated chef working with the finest restaurants in New York and Paris, but finds his true calling on a simple ranch in New Mexico alongside authentic cowboys. But this is not a story about barbecue. Epstein had that large staff: those chauffeurs and pilots, butlers and maids. But Lang was something different. The other staff mostly stuck to one property in New York or Florida or New Mexico or wherever, or one vehicle like a plane. And most of the other staff might see the guests at a distance, but rarely interacted with them. Virginia told us Lang met Epstein's company. She said that Epstein insisted Lang memorize the names and food preferences of his most honored guests. Several young women who we've talked to remember Lang too. He had a presence in the house. All said he was very polite. There's something else notable about Lang. He didn't stay at one property. He went everywhere, wherever Epstein went. His name pops up in Epstein's flight logs again and again. In 2014, when I was really trying to piece together the pieces of my life that have been broken for so long, and it's like, well, who could, who could place these people that I was trafficked out to in the various locations? And I was like, well, Adam can. Adam was there. Adam saw the people. Adam had to serve the people. Adam had to know their names. Several lawyers representing Virginia and other victims of Epstein's have told us that Lang is at the very top of the list of witnesses they would like to talk to, to get affidavits from. For years, Virginia and her lawyers, like Brad Edwards, have tried to get him to talk unsuccessfully. Edwards did reach Lang, but Lang told him he didn't know anything. Brad Edwards was like, "Well, let's let's find him." Let's talk to him. Let's see what happens. And Brad reached out first, and, and Adam's like, "I don't know anything. I don't know who she is. I don't remember her. I never saw anything bad happening there." And kind of left it at that. And then you know, I sent an email and I sent a letter, and it was like, I don't know. It's it just he never got back to us, and it was kind of heartbreaking. And but then you know, Epstein was still alive, so I was like, okay, well maybe Adam's still. Afraid of the power that Epstein has, so I kind of like gave a little bit of like leeway to that, and like maybe that's why he's not coming forward. Sure, when Epstein was alive, people were terrified to talk. Epstein was famously brutal to anybody who went against him. He allegedly hired private investigators to intimidate survivors and witnesses. He also had many staff members sign non-disclosure agreements. Now, technically, an NDA doesn't prevent someone from reporting sexual crimes against children. But still, people must have been afraid of getting locked into a lawsuit with Epstein and his huge legal team. Virginia figured that once he died, people would come forward. There was so much less to be afraid of. That was the purpose of our journey with Virginia. She was certain that Lang and others would come forward if she made a personal appeal, if he just saw her face. She was sure that if she could just see that nice guy who made her pizza, explain why she needs him now. He would step forward and tell everything he knows, and so we went for a drive. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. like 10 minutes from his house right now. It's been a, it was about an hour drive a hotel, right? Through a public record search, we found the address for a house listed as Lang's property. It was outside of LA in Manhattan Beach. How are you feeling right now? Uh, I'm feeling a little nervous, um, but I am also hopeful. I want to give him the opportunity. I, I want to appeal to his kinder nature again and say like, Adam, please, I'm here. I've traveled all this way from Australia to come and see you. I really am, am asking for your help. Virginia brought a letter she had written. She was hoping she could deliver it to Adam in person. So I want to read the, the letter to you, and you guys can tell me if I've missed anything. Okay. All right? So be honest. Be brutal. Dear Adam Perryling, my name is Virginia Roberts. Married name is Jufre. I'm sure you've heard of Epstein's short incarceration and subsequent death. He's gone now. He can't hurt us anymore. But as you know, it wasn't just Epstein running the most prolific sex trafficking ring of modern times. He had help. Lots of help. That alone leaves me and his uncountable victims searching for justice. Justice comes in many forms. In my case, justice is holding the various perpetrators that participated, enabled, or looked the other way accountable. I'm not here to ruin your life. You have so much knowledge of the various people on the planes, in his homes, and anywhere you would have been with him. You truly can't say you didn't know or you can't remember. You didn't help when Brad Edwards and I reached out to you in 2014. Jeffrey was alive then, and I get it. Maybe you were scared of him. We all were. You have the ability and, frankly, the responsibility to help now. By helping us victims and speaking out with us, not only will you redeem yourself, but you will truly elevate yourself to the status of a hero, which is exactly what you could be for me, a hero. I have such fond memories of staying up late, We'd talk, we'd laugh. I considered you my friend, and I hope I still can. Life's too short, my friend. Don't go down the way in the history books as that amazing chef who worked for a pedophile. Be remembered as a man who stood for something. You can stand by me and with us, Adam. Please, please, please understand you could help put together some of the missing pieces of my broken life. You can help me on my pursuit of justice. Adam, please don't be an enabler, be a hero. Be a hero to me, Epstein's victims, and the millions of children who are trafficked every day. I believe you are a good man, at least the Adam I know was. Prove me right. Thank you. All my love, Virginia Roberts Dufresne. My email and my phone number. The road to Manhattan Beach runs along the ocean. You can see birds flying above the water, and the day we drove out was sunny with perfect blue skies. The area is beautiful, fancy homes, but then there's this giant industrial structure on the ocean. Desalination plants, yeah. finally! That's awesome. Jeffrey actually said that he was going to build a desalination plant on his island. I wonder if he ever did that. Yeah. Wherever Virginia goes, she sees Epstein. We drove past the desalination plant into Manhattan Beach. It's a very nice community. Beautiful, huge beachfront homes. What a nice area. Lucky Adam, huh? I found a place to park, and my producer fitted a mic on Virginia. Here we go. 
Wish us luck. The three of us walked over to his address. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Sorry, my name's Virginia Roberts Dufre. Um, Adam used to be a good friend of mine ages ago. I was just. Ooh. Adam? Perry Do we have the right address? Adam Perry Lane? That's not Adam here. Okay. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. He was a really good friend of mine, and like we're doing a little bit of reporting, obviously, and oh. we're just trying to catch up and like carry on with stories. Got it. Um, sorry. Okay. Come well, on, thank sir. you so much. Thank I'm sorry you. to have bother nice your time. There's something we learned about trying to find rich people. We've been doing a lot of that lately. We have access to some reporter-only databases, so we often can find unlisted phone numbers and addresses. But rich people have a lot of homes and a lot of phone numbers. They often buy houses through shell companies. We were certain that this was once Lang's address, but it isn't anymore. So we got back in the car and started some furious Googling. (gasps) He's living at Jimmy Kimmel's house. No. So we headed there. Did you write down the address? Looks fancy. Yeah, complete. Yeah. It's oh, it's one thirty-five, right? Yeah, one thirty-five. Okay. Let's do it. And but no luck. No one answered the door, and the house looked empty. We later learned that Lang rented a house from Kimmel. We had a bunch of phone numbers from that database, so we called and actually got to a voicemail that we were pretty sure is Lang's. Hi, Adam. It's Virginia Jufre. Uh, used to be Virginia Roberts. Um, you knew me on the, you knew me on the islands and everywhere around Epstein. Uh, I'm not out here to like cause you any problems, but I've, I've flown out from Australia to reconnect with you. I would really just appreciate a moment of your time, um, and even you know meet face to face potentially, just to discuss with you some of the stuff that you know that had, had gone on and, and just reconnect, basically. Please call me back. Um, I would really, really appreciate it. And if this isn't Adam, could you just send me a text and let me know that I've got the wrong number? Appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye. Okay. It- we felt so sure that we'd be able to find him, but it turned out to be trickier than we thought. And Lang seemed to be avoiding us. He's never been too eager to discuss Epstein. Until last fall... Lang had never publicly admitted to working as Epstein's private chef. In interviews, he referred to a rich client who he declined to name. In his 2009 book, Serious Barbecue, after Epstein's guilty plea and jail sentence, Lang refers to his time with Epstein in almost giddy terms. He writes, I really hit the jackpot. I became a private chef, a job that took me all over the world into that sprawling ranch in New Mexico. Last year, shortly after Epstein died, some long-sealed court testimony was unsealed, and so were flight logs from Epstein's plane. They confirmed what Virginia had said for years. Lang's rich client was Epstein. When all this new evidence came out, Lang, for the first time, acknowledged this fact and gave a statement to Eater, a food website. He said, Almost 20 years ago, as a young chef, I was hired to work for Jeffrey Epstein. My role was limited to meal preparation. I was unaware of the depraved behavior and have great sympathy and admiration for the brave women who have come forward. I'd like to take a minute to talk through that statement. Lang claims he was unaware of the depraved behavior. It's not clear what he means by that word, but he most certainly saw things that many people would consider depraved. Remember, Epstein is said to have sexually abused three girls a day. And also, he says he was a young chef. Lang worked for Epstein when he was in his 30s. He wanted girls who looked young. 
That, of course, is our executive producer, Julie K. Brown. She says these were not girls who could have been mistaken for adults. Even if they were, let's just say, 18, he wanted girls that looked like they were 14. I mean, that was very clear to anyone that did the recruiting for him. He did not like girls that were voluptuous. He wanted the type that looked young. So certainly the chef, Adam Perry Lang, he had to know if he saw those girls that there was something wrong and something amiss. The whole scene to me sounds so eerie. I mean, you would think that they would say, what's going on here? This is really weird. But that's kind of what what it was like. And why people ignored it, I don't know. It's remarkable how many victims mention a chef in their accounts of paying visits to Epstein. Victims have stated when they first arrived at Epstein's property, a chef whom they don't name would make them something to eat. We should note, it's clear from all but a few of these statements that the victims were referring to another chef who worked for Epstein after Lang. After waiting in the kitchen, the girls would be called up to Epstein's massage room. Often these girls left a little bit later, some seeming distressed. And even when there were no girls present, there were plenty of signs this was a place of depravity. Julie Brown describes the first police investigation in 2005. When they executed the search warrant at his mansion, there were photographs of a lot of these girls. There were photographs of other women that they they didn't know who they were. Often these were pretty erotic photographs. In, In a couple of cases, they were of naked, young, young girls. Virginia told us there weren't just pictures of naked girls around the house, but that naked girls would lie around both inside and by the pool, in full view of anyone who might be in the house. Like Adam. He'd come out with, like, iced tea and jugs of water and platters of fruit. And he'd put it at the table so we could sit around the table and and eat something. And then, you know, it just, he, he, he saw us all naked all the time. Did he even look you in the eye when he served you or he just looked the other way? Um, he'd look you in your face. But, you know, like, have you ever, like, glazed your eyes over at the Christmas tree and you see, like, all the faded colors? It's like that's how he looked at us. So I don't know if it was, like, out of respect or out of the, like, maybe Jeffrey told him, don't look at the girls' bodies, don't oogle them. I don't know how or why. That's why I thought he was respectful. But he would just kind of, like, give you that glazed over look. Like, here's your fruit. Enjoy. Lang eventually left Epstein behind. But he didn't shy away from the machismo culture. He left Epstein in 2003 and became the chef at the Penthouse Executive Club, a strip club in Manhattan. He ran its steakhouse. He told the New York Times in 2003, in an interview that took place next to dancers, that he made steak at the club because it's testosterone food. The strip club restaurant advertises exotic harem rooms available for more intimate performances— And for guests seeking discretion, there is even an elevator leading to a hidden dining room. Lang also opened Daisy May's Barbecue, a takeout restaurant attached to the Penthouse Club, owned by Lang and one of the club's owners, but with a different entrance. Lang told the Times that he got the name Daisy May from a dog who lived on that ranch in New Mexico. He didn't mention that the ranch was Epstein's. After the strip club, Lang went to work with Mario Batali, the then-celebrated chef who later apologized for decades-long inappropriate behavior towards women who worked with him. Lang moved to L.A. and eventually opened APL. Last year, he opened another steakhouse, Perry Lang's, in Napa Valley. 
Lang has not shied away from the limelight. He promotes his restaurants, gives interviews, and shows off his state-of-the-art meat cooler where he ages beef. But there's one topic he doesn't go near. Years ago, Virginia says she wrote him a letter, long before this story blew up. She was in the middle of litigation and asked Lang for his help, verifying what he observed while he worked for Epstein. She never heard back. But now, in L.A., Virginia wanted to try again. After the break, we go to the one place we know for sure Adam Perry Lang spends a lot of his time. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. You might be wondering, why is it so important to Virginia and other victims, to their lawyers, and, well, to us, that people like Lang speak up? say what they saw. Isn't the story of Epstein out there? Don't we know it already? The crazy thing is, we really don't. We know some details, we know some of the names. Epstein allegedly ran an enormous sex trafficking operation involving minors, and we just don't know enough about how the thing worked, who was involved, and how they were involved. We need to know better to understand why so many prominent institutions, starting with courts and law enforcement, but including prestigious universities, major foundations, and others look the other way. We need to reveal the truth for plain old justice reasons. People shouldn't be able to rape children and pay no cost. But there's also prevention. Frankly, the message we've sent potential criminals is this. If you are wealthy enough, if you are powerful enough, go ahead. Nothing bad will happen to you. Here's Julie K. Brown. There has been really no one on the inside except for Virginia and a couple of other women who have come forward and said, here's who I had sex with. I mean, there's a reason why a lot of these men are denying that that they knew anything is because it's only her word against theirs. For Virginia, there are also more immediate reasons she needs witnesses. Virginia is locked in a suit and countersuit with Alan Dershowitz, a famously combative lawyer. After Virginia said publicly that she was forced to have sex with Dershowitz as part of Epstein's sex trafficking operation— Dershowitz launched an aggressive campaign against her, denying ever having sex with her, calling her a bad mother and a prostitute. Virginia sued Dershowitz for defamation. He responded by suing her for defamation and intentional infliction of emotional distress. We reached out to Dershowitz, and he said he's never met Virginia, has never had contact with her, and has never had sex with her. He added that he's confident the truth will emerge at trial. There are several other lawsuits in which victims are seeking compensation from Epstein's half-a-billion-dollar estate. It seems reasonable for victims to want that money to help them in their recovery and for it not to go to those who helped him. Witness testimony would be a huge help in building those cases. I've spoken to several of the lawyers involved, and they are frustrated at the lack of witness testimony available because so few will step forward. Probably the biggest cost of the silence is the psychological damage to victims. 
I think there's this, this myth that survivors want everybody to be locked up in jail forever. And that that's just simply not true. Kristen Hauser is a consultant with the National Sexual Violence Resource Center and has been working with victims of sexual abuse for 30 years. They want apologies, they want accountability, and they often want to know that the people that failed them won't fail others. It's like an attempt to make sure that what happened to them does not happen in vain. You want people to acknowledge, I saw that, it made me uncomfortable, and I did you wrong by not helping you. And and the most important part is, I learned from that and I won't ever do that again. It's something we've heard from Virginia and so many others. What many victims really want, more than anything, is just to hear, yes, it happened. That awful thing happened to you. To get that validation and secondhand confirmation that yes, that happened, yes, it was horrible, yes, you were victimized, no, you were not at fault, no, it's not a misunderstanding, is really critical to being able to let go of shame, let go of guilt, and move forward in in your healing. On top of acknowledging the trauma, there's something unique in cases like this. Hauser says that in recent years, we've learned about a specific kind of pain, that of victims of famous celebrated men like Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, who abuse people for years and seem invincible. When you watch a world audience blindly believe that somebody is 100% good and you have disclosed what they're capable of and that has been rejected, it's a very painful thing to watch. It's so hard to watch them behaving in public as if they were trustworthy and safe, when in reality, I know them to be a completely different way. And people want the truth to be known. They they want the lies to be corrected. They want the script that people know about that person to reflect reality. It can be a maddening experience to watch somebody get accolades who is completely undeserving of it. So knowing this, we tried to get in touch with Lang one last time. We showed up at the one place we knew he might be, his restaurant, APL. APL is on Hollywood and Vine. We had heard it was a celebrity hotspot, but wow. When we walked in, it was packed with famous people, more celebrities than us mortals. This place is co-owned by Jimmy Kimmel and Joel McHale, the star of Community. McHale walked in right as we did and sat with a bunch of comedians. It's frequently used for Hollywood parties, It's right down the block from many of L.A.'s big movie theaters that show premieres. And APL has this perfect private room with a big glass wall, so the celebrities can be seen but also have some privacy. We sat at a big booth in the back of the dining room. Virginia had dressed up for the evening in a soft gray coat and heels. The menu was, unsurprisingly, full of meat. What do you recommend here? What's your favorite dish? So I'm going to get the $160 one, right? When we made the reservation, we put in a note asking to see the chef. When we arrived, Virginia told the host that she's an old friend of Adam's and would love to say hi. The host said that Adam often stops by. We waited, anxious, hopeful. We ate. We ordered dessert. We waited. We watched all those celebrities leave. Waited some more. Well, that's kind of like what I wrote to Adam in here, you know, and I I tried to express to him that, you know, Epstein's gone. Oops, sorry. Epstein's gone. Well, Epstein's gone, and, you know, we don't have to be afraid. I wanted to give him that leverage of, like, you know, if that's what 
was holding you back, kind of like help him build his own narrative so he doesn't come out looking like the, the bad guy and give him the opportunity to do right by us this time. So yeah, I think we could leave this uh, for him. It's just a letter, like... Virginia was sitting at the head of the table, holding that note she wrote for Lang. And every time someone came in, she turned her head. We all turned our head to see if it was Lang. Finally, the waiter said Lang wouldn't be coming in. Virginia was deflated. We left word telling him who Virginia is and asking Lang to reach out. At this point, we knew Lang had to be getting our messages. Between voicemails, the emails, the restaurant staff, we knew that he was ignoring Virginia. But then, a few days later, Virginia received a text. All right. We just got a text message from Adam Perry Lang. And let's read it. Adam Perry Lang is saying, Hi, Virginia. I know this has been a traumatic and terrible time for you. I hope your fierce advocacy brings you and the other innocent victims peace and justice. I hope you know by now that I'm planning to speak with your attorney, Best Adam. That makes my entire day worth all the canvassing that we've done, everywhere we've gone, all the doors being slammed in our face. This makes it worth it. I mean, we've actually touched another person's life to the point where, you know, they actually want to help now. So this is great. I mean, regardless of anything came out of it, he's talking to the attorneys. And that means he's going to sit down for an affidavit and under oath tell my attorneys who was there, what he saw, and try to be of any help. And that's all we can ask from people. If you saw something, say something. That was seven months ago. After that text, Lang stopped talking with her and communicated through lawyers. Lang declined our many requests for an interview and would not answer any of the specific questions we sent. His lawyer did say he was in touch with federal prosecutors in New York and was cooperating fully with their investigation. He also sent us a statement. I have profound sympathy and admiration for the brave women who have come forward and made public Jeffrey Epstein's heinous crimes. I understand the interest in the time I spent working as a chef for Jeffrey Epstein and I'm working with the lawyers representing Virginia Roberts Jufre to provide whatever assistance I can. It pains me that I cannot provide the confirmation that you seek here, but I cannot attest to what I did not witness or cannot recall. That said, I want to be clear that I never saw sexual activity or nudity and was never aware of underage girls. I was never told of nor saw any of the depraved acts committed by Epstein and his friends. I primarily spent my time in the kitchen. Any account other than this is emphatically untrue. We should note, we'll say it right now to Adam Perry Lang, we would love to hear your story. For that matter, we'd like to hear from anyone who has information about Epstein. You can email us at broken at 3uncanny4.com. Virginia hadn't taken a 17-hour flight to the U.S. to stop there. There were other potential witnesses she wanted to talk to. So we left Los Angeles and flew to Florida, where two other key people live. 
The first address we drove to was in Palm Beach Gardens, 20 minutes north of Palm Beach. I was driving with Virginia riding shotgun, and my producer, Krista, was in the back seat. So we're on our way to see Larry, is it Visowski? Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Larry Visowski. We're on our way to Jeffrey's main pilot. So the guy who would sign everybody in on every flight, Larry Visowski holds the treasure in his hands. That treasure is paper, the flight logs. Some flight logs are out in the public now. That's part of how Adam Perry Lang was connected to Epstein. But those are from a different pilot, David Rogers. Those logs have some of the most valuable documentary evidence we have of who spent time with Epstein. We can see which men were on flights with him alongside girls like Virginia. Vasoski has never spoken publicly about his time with Epstein. He was deposed in a legal case in 2008, but his testimony was, according to Virginia's lawyer, useless. According to the lawyer, he was evasive and seemed not to remember much. For Virginia and the many lawyers representing victims, probably the single most valuable bit of information would be Vysotsky's flight logs. It has been frustrating finding out what became of them. His attorney told us Vysotsky had cooperated fully with authorities. It's not clear what has become of his flight logs, which could likely contribute greatly to our understanding of Epstein's operation. Larry Vysotsky has a wealth of knowledge, but this is why Jeffrey treated him so well, because Larry Vysotsky always kept his mouth shut. Epstein was very generous with Larry Vysotsky. He received a gift of land on the New Mexico ranch. And he even visited Epstein during his brief incarceration. Virginia remembers Vysotsky fondly. On her very first flight with Epstein when she was underage, Vysotsky let her sit up by the pilots during takeoff. She remembers it being like a roller coaster. A source close to Larry told us that Larry remembers meeting Virginia, but that he didn't remember letting Virginia into the cockpit area, and he didn't know she was a minor. He didn't recall seeing any unaccompanied minors aboard Epstein's planes. Larry's home was in a gated community, like a lot of Florida. But this one was all mini-mansions and water features. There was an attendant at the gate, and we gave him Larry's name. Could you also tell him Virginia Roberts? The attendant called Larry and actually had him on the phone. So Virginia put the receiver up to her ear. Hello, is, is this Larry? Hi, Larry. Oh, my goodness. Like, voice from the past, almost like ghost from the past. Um, this is Virginia Roberts. So I used to fly on the plane all the time with you guys. You remember the first time, like, you guys put me in the cockpit and with you and David, and I was like, this is like a roller coaster, and it was so much fun from Florida to New York. And um, anyways, I'm here with reporter Tara Palmieri, um, and we're just, we're, we're going on, like, this mission, and I wanted to talk to you about, like, some of the stuff that you might remember, but I just remember you as this, like, super cool guy. Um, so we're just kind of, like, putting together the pieces of this puzzle, because um, there's a lot of people who wouldn't talk while Epstein was alive. But now that he's gone, I feel like we can kind of put together a lot of this missing info. And especially, like, you're super important, Larry, because you, you have the black and white evidence, like the, the flight logs. You know, David was cool enough to hand his over. Okay. Can I just come in and have, like, a cup of coffee with you? Would that be okay? Okay, so there's no—would you meet me somewhere for lunch? No. 
He hung up. In a statement given through his attorney, Larry said he has been fully cooperative with all requests from law enforcement and remains ready to assist further in any way that he can. He still hasn't made any public show of support to Virginia. The last stop on our journey was the one we had the least hope for. We went to the house of Juan Alessi, Epstein's former chauffeur and all-around houseman. Just like Larry, Juan has been particularly resistant to talking publicly. He had never given an interview to the media. So with little hope, we rang the buzzer. And we got an answer. Hi, Juan. It's, it's Virginia. Vir- Virginia Roberts from like 20 years ago. How are you? Juan had answered the intercom and he was actually talking to Virginia. I've flown all the way from Australia to try to put together the pieces of my past. As you know, like there's been a whole bunch of like bad stuff happening and you know, it wasn't just Epstein who did what he did. So I was gonna ask you if it's okay if I come in to your property and meet with you and Maria. He seemed surprised to hear from her. But when he realized that Virginia was at his front gate, he buzzed us both in. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, we're we're on our way. Thank you. That's next week on Broken, Seeking Justice. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault or partner violence, there are resources available for you. Go to Safe Horizon. That's safehorizon.org to learn more. Broken Seeking Justice is produced by 3 Uncanny 4 Productions. Our show is produced by Krista Ripple and Jennifer Siegel, with help from Jack Panyard, and reporting from Emily Saul. Casey Holford composed our theme, and this episode was mixed by Joanna Catcher at Nice Manners. Parker Henry is our fact checker, and Rachel B. Doyle is our editor. Special thanks to Will Hasty. Our special correspondent and executive producer is Julie K. Brown. Our other executive producers are Adam Davidson, Laura Mayer, Adam McKay, and Kevin Messick. Share your thoughts on Twitter with the hashtag BrokenSeekingJustice. Follow me at Tara Palmieri. Follow Julie Brown at JKB Journalist. And you can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts, which helps other listeners like you find us. There's so much more to come on this season of Broken. It's just a crazy story, but it's even crazier when you're watching the government confer with the person who abused me. She was a pawn as far as I'm concerned. You you don't ask questions, you just stay out of the way. It was literally like Alice in Wonderland. You're like falling through the rabbit hole as soon as you got in that door. And I heard her voice and I knew exactly who it was. I turned white as a ghost. I wasn't a prostitute, I wasn't a stripper, I wasn't on drugs, I wasn't from a broken household. There's never been a case stronger than that case, ever. Everybody's like, why keep fighting? But at the end of the day, these people committed a crime, they need to be held accountable, period. I'm Tara Palmieri. We'll be back next week.